Chapter Sixteen of Dwellers in the Hills by Melville Davison Post. The Slibervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Sixteen, Through the Big Water. Crowds of cattle, like mobs, are strangely subject to some sudden impulse. Any seamy-faced old drover will illustrate this fact with stories till midnight, telling how Alkiri's cattle resting one morning on Bald Knob suddenly threw up their heads and went crashing for a mile through the underbrush, and how a line of Queen's steers charged on a summer evening and swept out every fence in the Tigart's Valley, without a cause so far as the human eye could see, and without warning. Three hundred cattle had crossed, swimming the track of the loop as though they were fenced into it, and I judged there were a hundred in the water, when the remainder of the drove on the south shore made a sudden bolt for the river. The move was so swift and uniform, and the distance to the water so short, that Ump and the ferrymen had barely time to escape being swept in with the steers. The whole drove piled up in the river and began to swim in a black mass toward the north shore. I saw the Bay Eagle sweep down the bank and plunge into the river below the cattle. I could hear Ump shouting, and could see the Bay Mare crowding the lower line of the swimming cattle. The very light went out of the sky. We forced our horses into the river up to their shoulders and waited. The cattle halfway across came out all right, but when the mass of more than two hundred reached the loop of the curve, they seemed to waver and crowd up in a bunch. I lost my head and plunged El Mahdi into the river. "'Come on!' I shouted, and Judd followed me. If Satan had sent some guardian devil to choose for us an act of folly, he could not have chose better than I." It is possible that the cattle would have taken the line of the leaders against the current if we had kept out of the river. But when they saw our horses, they became bewildered, lost their sense of direction, and drifted down into the eddy, a great tangle of fighting cattle. We swung downstream, and taking a long circle came in below the drove as it lifted around the outer orbit of the eddy. The crowd of cattle swam past, butting each other and churning the water under their bellies led by a half-blood Aberdeen Angus steer with a ring in his nose. Halfway round we met Ump. He was a terrible creature. His shirt was in ribbons, and his hair was matted to his head. He was trying to force the Bay Eagle into the mass of cattle, and he was cursing like a fiend. I have already said that his mare knew more than any other animal in the hills. She dodged here and there like a water rat, slipped in among the cattle, and shot out when they swung together. On any other horse the hunchback would have been crushed to a pulp. We joined him, and tried to drive a wedge through the great tangle to split it in half, Judd and the huge cardinal for a center. We got halfway in, and were flung off like a plank. We floated down into the rim of the eddy below the cattle, spread out, and endeavored to force the drove upstream, we might as well have ridden against a floating log-jam. The mad, bellowing steers swam after their leader, moving in toward the vortex of the eddy. The half-blood Amberdeen Angus, whom the cattle seemed to follow, was now on the inner border of the drove. The tangle of steers stretched in a circle around him. It was clear that in a very few minutes he would reach the center. The mass of cattle would crowd down on him, and the whole bunch would go to the bottom." We determined to make another effort to break through this circle, and, if possible, capture the half-blood and force him out toward the shore. 
a more dangerous undertaking could not be easily imagined. The chances of driving this deer were slight if we should ever reach him. The possibility of forcing a way in was remote, and if we succeeded in penetrating to the center of the jam and failed to break it, we should certainly be wedged in and crushed. If Ump's head had been cool, I do not think he would ever have permitted me to join in such madness. We were to select a loose place in the circle, the Cardinal and El Mahdi to force an opening, and the Bay Eagle to go through if she could. We waited while the cattle passed, bellowing and thrashing the water, an awful mob of steers in a panic. Presently in the circle there was a rift where a bull, infuriated by the crowding, swam by, fighting to clear a place around him. He was a tremendous creature, glistening black, active and dangerous as a wild beast. He charged the cattle around him, driving them back like a battering ram. He dived and butted and roared like some sea monster gone mad. Ump shouted, and we swam into the open rift against this bull, Judd leading and El Mahdi at his shoulder. The bull fighting the cattle behind him did not see us until the big sorrel was against him. Then he swung half around and tried to butt. This was the danger which we feared most. The ram of a muley steer is one of the most powerful blows delivered by any animal. For this reason, no bull with horns is matched for a muley. The driving power of sixteen hundred pounds of bone and muscle is like the ram of a ship. Striking a horse fair, it would stave him in as one breaks an eggshell. Judd leaned down from his horse and struck the bull on the nose with his fist, beating him in the nostrils. The bull turned and charged the cattle behind him. We crowded against him, using the mad bull for a great driving wedge. I have never seen anything in the world to approach the strength of the fury of this muley. With him we broke through the circle of steers, forcing into the center of the eddy. We had barely room for the horses by crowding shoulder to shoulder to the bull. The cattle closed in behind us like bees swarming in a hive. I was accustomed to cattle all my life. I had been among them when they fought each other, bellowing and tearing up the sod, among them when they charged, among them when they stampeded, and I was not afraid. But this cauldron of boiling yellow water filled with cattle was a hell-pot. In it every steer, gone mad, seemed to be fighting for dear life. I caught some of the terror of the cattle, and on the instant the delusion of the cone rising on all sides returned. The cattle seemed to be swimming down upon us from the sides of this yellow pit. I looked around. The bay eagle was squeezing against El Mahdi. Judd was pressing close to the nose of the bull, keeping him turned against the cattle by great blows rained on his muzzle, and we were driving slowly in like a glut. My mouth became suddenly dry to the root of my tongue. I dropped the reins and whirled around in the saddle. Ump, whose knee was against El Mahdi's flank, reached over and caught me by the shoulder. The grip of his hand was firm and steady, and it brought me back to my senses. But his face will not be whiter when they lay him finally in the little chapel at Mount Horeb. As I turned and gathered up the reins, the water was boiling over the horses. Sometimes we went down to the chin, the horses entirely under, at other times we were flung up almost out of the water by the surging of the cattle. The cardinal was beginning to grow tired. He had just swum across the river and halfway back, and been then forced into this tremendous struggle without time to gather his breath. 
He was a horse of gigantic stature and great endurance, but his rider was heavy. He had been long in the water, and the jamming of the cattle was enough to wear out a horse built of ship timber. His whole body was sunk to the nose, and he went entirely under with every surge of the bull. The naked back of Judd reeked with sweat, washed off every minute with a flood of muddy water, and the muscles on his huge shoulders looked like folds of brass. He held the bridle rein in his teeth and bent down over the saddle so as to strike the bull when it tried to turn back. At times the man, horse, and bull were carried down out of sight. Suddenly I realized that we were on the inside. The river was a bedlam of roars and bellows. We had broken through the circle of cattle, and it drifted now in two segments, crowding in to follow the half-blood Amberdeen Angus. This steer passed a few yards below us, making for the center of the eddy. As he went by, Ump shot out on the Bay Eagle, dodged through the cattle, and, coming up with the steer, reached down and hooked his finger in the ring which the half-blood wore in his nose. Then, holding the steer's muzzle against the shoulder of the mare, he struck out straight through the vortex of the eddy, making for the widest opening in the broken circle. I watched the hunchback breathless. It was not difficult to lead the steer. An urchin could have done it with a rope in the nose-ring, but the two segments of the circle might swing together at any moment, and if they did, Ump would be penned in and lost, and we would be lost also, locked up in the jam of steers. For a moment the hunchback and steer passed out of sight in the boiling eddy. Then they reached the open, went through it, and struck upstream for the ferry landing. The cattle on the inner side of the circle followed the Aberdeen Angus, streaming through the opening in a great wedge that split the jam into the two wings of an enormous V. The whole drove swung out and followed in two lines, as one has seen the wild geese following their pilot to the south. Judd and I, wedged in, were tossed about by the surging of the cattle as the jam broke. We were protected a little by the bull, whose strength seemed inexhaustible. Every moment I looked to see some black head rise under the forequarters of El Mahdi, throw him over, and force him down beneath the bellies of the cattle, or some muley charge the fighting bull and crush Judd and his horse. But the very closeness of the jamming saved us from these dangers. It was almost impossible for a bullock to turn. We were carried forward by the press as a child is carried with a crowd. When the cattle split into the wings of the V, we were flung off and found ourselves swimming in open water between the two great lines. I felt like a man lifted suddenly from a dungeon into the sunlit world. I was weak. I caught hold of the horn, settled down nerveless in the saddle, and looked around me. The cattle were streaming past in two long lines for the shore, led by Ump and the Aberdeen Angus, now halfway up the north arm of the loop. The river was still roaring with the bellowings of the cattle, as though all the devils of the water howled with fury at this losing of their prey. The steers had now room to swim in, and they would reach the shore. I looked down at El Mahdi. He floated easily, pumping the air far back into his lungs. He had been roundly jammed, but he was not exhausted, and I knew he would be all right when he got his breath. Then I looked for Judd. He was a few yards below me staring at the swimming cattle. The water was rising to his armpits. It poured over the cardinal and over the saddle-horn. It was plain that his horse was going down. Only his muzzle hung above the water, with nostrils distended. I shouted to Judd. He kicked his feet out of the stirrups, dropped into the water, and caught his horse by the shank of the bit. 
he went down until the water bubbled against his chin but he held the horse's head above the river treading water and striking out with his free arm i turned el mahdi and swam to the cardinal when i reached him i caught the bit on my side and together Judd and El Mahdi held the exhausted horse until he gathered his breath and began to swim. Presently, when he had gotten the air back in his chest, I took the bridle rein, and Judd, loosing his hold on the bit, floated down behind the cattle, and struck out for shore. I saw him climb the bank among the water-beaches, when El Mahdi and the cardinal came up out of the river at the ferry landing behind the last bullock. End of chapter 16